Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of The Protocol is sponsored by the Stellar Community Fund. Dive deep into the blockchain realm with The Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of The Protocol Newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello, and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Margot Nykirk. I'm here with my co-host, Sam Kessler, and Brad. Brad Cowan is out today. So happy New Year to all. We hope that Brad is enjoying his time off. But first, before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, our weekly newsletter, The the Protocol, on Coindesk.com. And let's dive right into it, as we say, with the latest news and developments in tech behind crypto and blockchains. In our first segment, we're going to talk about the latest update that developers were penciled in over the holidays that we might have missed. But Ethereum developers basically agreed on a date for Ethereum's next big upgrade, Denkun, to go live on uh, the first testnet, Girly. This is happening on January 17th, I believe. And so, you know, here we are, another year, another upgrade for Ethereum. And for those who don't know what Denkun is, it's basically the big upgrade that consists of proto-dank sharding, uh, EIP-4844, which will help make the cost of transactions on rollups less expensive. The tech behind this basically is like comes from sharding, which is a mechanism that splits the blockchain up into many blockchains known as shards. This is this first iteration of that that will help bring that sort of mechanism for blobs of data. I like to think of it for those who don't really understand it as like, this is a highway that's adding lanes to the highway to be able to add more cars in and process that faster. So yeah, this is a really big anticipated upgrade. And this is, you know, we're finally kicking off a a testing process. And um, that was, yeah, just an exciting little note to have uh, happen at the end of the year. But I don't know, Sam, do you do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, so I I know this was planned for last um, quarter, right? It's pretty complicated, though, which is why I got pushed back. Do you know, like what those complexities were? I know you go to these calls every well, I guess it's biweekly every other week um, where, where they touch on kind of why things are, are, are slowing down. What was hard to implement here? I think a lot of it has to do with the coordination with all this. Like you said, this, this is a, an effort that requires a lot of like technical complexities and it, it gets really into the nitty gritty of things. But 
mainly, you know, Ethereum is a global network and these teams are sort of based all over the world and, you know, things happen. And so I think as the merge, you know, like with the merge that was postponed or, you know, they would say it wasn't postponed, but it was delayed. It like, you know, it was anticipated to happen earlier. Same here. I think Ethereum developers want to feel confident in what they are shipping. And yeah, this was supposed to happen over the fall. Now it looks like it's happening towards the end of February, maybe even early March, which sort of coincides with East Denver. So I'd be kind of excited to to see if that falls right in the middle of, of East Denver or right before or after. Who knows if they'll be tired. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of it just has to do with coordination at, the, at this point. Maybe it'd be useful too, to to zoom out for people. I, I've been writing, like, I, I think I wrote about proto-dang charting maybe even at this point, like two years ago. Yeah. Like for, for those who don't know, like this idea of sharding that you were talking about, Margot, that was initially supposed to be shipped with the merge, which is that big upgrade that happened not this previous summer, but the, the summer before where Ethereum shifted away from mining to the current proof of stake system. And the idea of sharding was going to be like this, you know, sort of revolutionary way to, like you said, split up Ethereum into a bunch of different lanes in order to process transactions more quickly. The idea of proto-dank sharding, though, was to kind of, it's almost like sharding light. And this is dank sharding light, which we won't even get into all of the, the you know, um, differences yeah. between dank sharding, proto-dank sharding, so on. But the idea here is it kind of like embraces the reality that sharding itself um, was not deemed enough to scale the Ethereum network. Too complicated. It, it would have been kind of like risky to implement. And it would have kind of solved some of the issues that are already being solved by Ethereum's rollups. So this, you know, even though it's not the merge, which was like a huge thing, it is a pretty big deal because it marks the biggest step that Ethereum's really taken that I can remember in, in terms of facilitating this big vision towards a rollup centric Ethereum. The yeah. idea being that these blobs of data will be the main currency, not, you know, not in the big capital C yeah. currency, but the... Yeah, the main way these chains works. Yeah, work from the chain works from now on. Yeah, no, and also you know there was Chappella right you know, between the merge and this. So this was this was postponed again. That was also supposed to you know they were yeah. talking about maybe adding it into staked ether withdrawal. So this keeps being postponed. So I guess this is finally happening. But it's also it's interesting that it's coinciding sort of with as we've talked about a lot on this podcast the L two races. I mean, like a year ago, I think. L2s were picking up a lot of steam, especially as these zero knowledge rollups started to come out. And so it's just interesting to see the timing around all this. Yeah. 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 I mean, maybe one more thing I realized we haven't mentioned too is like we keep on talking about these blobs and using all this jargon, but and like why does it actually help with these rollups? So just to to refresh people, like rollups are these chains that operate alongside Ethereum to help scale it. You know, you can do transactions on these chains, optimism, arbitrum, and so on. Then they all get bundled up and then passed down to Ethereum where they're settled onto Ethereum's ledger. And this whole idea with proto-dank sharding is it kind of like contends with this new reality where most activity is happening on these rollup networks rather than on Ethereum itself. And a really efficient way or a more efficient way for these rollups to operate is to make it more native for Optimism, Arbitrum, these rollups I mentioned, and so on to post kind of these amorphous blobs of, of data to Ethereum rather than transactions and this kind of more rigid structure that, that exists today. They kind of have to jerry-rig all of the data that comes from rollups to, to fit the, the Ethereum mold as things work currently. But under this new system, it'll become drastically more efficient because you can really post any blob of data 
and it can get interpreted and, and, and so on and so forth to, to speed yeah. things up. So why don't we transition to the next topic while we're still sticking in the Ethereum space? Over the holidays, Vitalik Buterin, the co-founder of Ethereum, released his updated roadmap of the blockchain. He comes out with, you know, with these roadmaps every once in a while and updates them according to where Ethereum might be going. It's not like a set in stone. It's not a Bible, but, but maybe Vitalik is a little bit of a biblical figure in the, in the Ethereum yeah. space. Depends who you ask, but his word is not set in stone. So these were suggestions and different tracks that the, the, these roadmaps have different tracks that happen simultaneously and there are updates and upgrades that happen at the same time to make Ethereum more efficient, more user-friendly. And so this was sort of interesting to see that, you know, he was busy thinking and releasing this over, I think it was like between the, the Christmas and, and New Year's. But um, I don't know, Sam, I, you took a look at the roadmap. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah. So like you said, he kind of breaks things down into different tracks. I honestly forget the word that he uses, but the marriage, the, the surge, the scourge, the verge, the purge, the yeah. splurge. Got yeah. a nice ring to it. Kind of, <laughs> it, it has a ring to it. Um, <laughs> he likes his rhyming. But each of these tracks is essentially a bucket of different upgrades meant to um, upgrades, code changes, concepts, and so on that it, you know, is organized around some theme for the chain. And one thing that I was interested in this time around is that, um, as you know, Vitalik kind of notes in an X thread about the updated roadmap, He's changed the definition for one of these buckets to mm-hmm. be a little bit wider. So the bucket that he made several kind of changes uh, of this nature, but this, you know, this one was the one I thought was the most interesting. So there's this thing called the scourge. So previously, the goal for the scourge, this bucket, was to, quote, ensure reliable, incredibly neutral transaction inclusion and avoid centralization and other protocol risks from MEV. So it was essentially this bucket of things focused on fixing the problems with maximal extractable value, this idea of like looking at things in Ethereum's mempool yet to be processed transactions so that you can front run people, back run, sandwich attack, all these things that you can look up um, that uh, allow people to milk a little bit of extra profit from Ethereum. And that led to some centralization issues. And that was what this bucket was supposed to address. But now what Vitalik's done is he's kind of redesigned the scourge to be broader. He says it's, quote, about fighting economic centralization and proof of stake in general in two key theaters, not not just one like before. So now it's maximal extractable value, but also general stake pooling issues. Mm -hmm. So he's added to this bucket a set of updates that are focused on the phenomena of things like Lido, the big staking pool, which has amassed a ton of staked ether, which, you know, correlates to power over the blockchain. Um, The concern being that if just a few of these staking pools like Lido get most of the stake, they, they you know, kind of can amass a, a disproportionate amount of control over the network and can theoretically slow things down, mess things up, so on and so forth. So Vitalik is taking aim specifically um, at that category of things um, with the new definition of, of, of the scourge. And you can kind of check out that thread that I mentioned. Just look at Vitalik's um, Twitter or X um, to, to see the specifics there. But Margo, I, I wonder what you think you know, what What really stood out to you um, this time around? Yeah, I mean, before I get into that, I, I kind of, you know, want to stick on this Lido um, topic that you mentioned. I, 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 I think this is, we're going to, you know, it was interesting because we, I think we spent the last couple months starting to talk about MEV again, um, talking about centralization again. I feel like that had its moment last year in 2022. And then 
early 2023. And then we kind of, it, it kind of disappeared for a little bit. Now the alarm bells are sounding. I, I wonder if we're going to, I mean, we have seen some bigger Ethereum figures, um, come out and raise concerns about what's happening with Lido. I wonder over the next few months whether there is going to be any protocols that emerge as sort of a competitor to Lido or that, um, or, you know, there are already, but I wonder if Ethereum, fig, you know, figures are going to start backing specific projects to help, you know, alleviate this, or even if there's like going to be protocol level changes, because it does seem more and more concerning, according to, you know, these people who are very involved. So this is an interesting take idea that Vitalik has sort of added to the roadmap. And I'm sure we'll be talking about this more. In terms of what I found interesting, you know, there wasn't a, a whole other lot of things that changed in the roadmap. The other topic that I think was interesting that Vitalik added was this idea of single slot finality. Right now, finality, you know, is a measurement of of adding blocks to the blockchain. It takes about 15 minutes for blocks to be finalized. This idea would mean that it would come down to a single slot, you know, for it to be finalized. So it would just move a lot faster, which would alleviate some certain uh, security concerns like reorgs and like MEV attacks. So I think, you know, this has more to do with the security of it. I don't really think there's like an end user change except for maybe like a more secure network. But yeah, this is interesting. I wonder, I, I'm, you know, this is something else I'll, I'll be following over the next few months and seeing if that enters any upgrades. Um, I mean, I think from like a user standpoint too, this could be pretty cool because like, I mean, we're going to talk next about Solana preview. Um, but one of the reasons <laughs> why Solana and so many other chains have been positioned as like the Ethereum killer is because like Ethereum is historically like a pretty slow blockchain. Like you said, it yeah. can take 15 minutes for a transaction to finalize, which means between the time, between the time, you know, you submit a transaction and the time it actually gets cemented onto Ethereum's ledger in a, you know, theoretically permanent way. Um, you know, there, there's some nuances there, but basically a permanent way. Um, takes 15 whole minutes. And that's just like not fast enough for certain kinds of applications. Um, you want to have a guarantee that your trade has been executed. Like you right. might, you know, make a certain trade and, you know, have it contingent on that, you know, on a previous trade being successful. You don't want to wait 15 minutes in, in order for that contingency to come through. So I think there's a lot of like different kinds of apps that today can exist really efficiently on Ethereum itself you know, currently exist on Ethereum's rollups or exist on other chains that are faster, like Solana, that might be able to kind of like move their way back to the main uh, Ethereum chain if they manage to speed things up. Um, and I, I, you know, I think this is broadly interesting, just because we mentioned the centralization problem that Vitalik was trying to address with the scourge. This kind of like hits in another one of the big problems for Ethereum, which is, you know, speed. And it's just the consistency of centralization and speed being these two things that you know, Ethereum and all these other blockchains seem to be dealing with it is just like, you know, perennially the, the thing that just year after year after year, yeah, these ecosystems are going to have to focus on. And it's just interesting seeing how that progress is or, or isn't made on a, on a year to year um, basis. We'll be following all this as this progresses. Anyway, we're going to take a break. And as Sam said, we're going to be talking about Solana when we come back. Have a blockchain project idea and need funding to make it happen? Look no further. The Stellar Community Fund is here to help bring your project to life on the Stellar Network. This year alone, over $10 million in XLM awards have been allocated across more than 100 innovative projects. And your idea could be next. Approved project submissions can receive up to $100,000 in XLM per project. So, 
head over to communityfund.stellar.org to get started. Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. I want to push back slightly on the idea that cash, the value of it, I mean, that's what FX markets are about, right? Is like arbitraging differences in cash value. And there's a whole gigantic market around currency exchanges. And so I think there that we do see trading that happens in cash. But to your point, you know, the use of cash as a means of payment, et cetera, is pretty robust and sticky as a concept. And I think the joke is always, you know, if cash didn't exist, no one would invent it. But hey, it, it does exist. And so that's the world that we're in. Look, there is a crypto angle in this. Our job is not to sit here as either geopolitical or conflict resolution commentators, but it matters to everybody, every human being. Given how horrific this story is, the fact that there was an order to shut down crypto accounts used by Hamas and that Binance came in to cooperate with that, of course, is yet another negative story around crypto. Take the frame from wherever you want to take it. But by remaining silent about bad actors in our industry, about criminal behavior, about terrorists, about whatever it is, and just focusing on the topic of our show, but I mean this more generally, by remaining silent, we are complicit. You heard what she had to say. Go out there, call spades, spades, stand up for what is right. Like just, it's time to to stop shirking the responsibilities we have. And it's just time to just stand up for what's right. Listen to Money Reimagined every Wednesday on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. All right. We're back from the break. Thanks, everyone. Welcome back. We're going to be diving into Solana. It's been, you know, a lot in the news lately. Um, but maybe Sam, why don't you kick us off with what's what's happening in, in the Solana world? Yeah. So Solana's been doing pretty well. Um, Solana, for those who don't know, is, you know, if you're listening to the Crypto Tech Podcast, um, hopefully you've at least, you know, heard of it. It was positioned, like I said before, as like this Ethereum killer when it came out several years ago. It's this blockchain that um, has, you know, much faster settlement. But um, throughout its history, particularly like recent history over the past couple of years, has had a lot of problems. Historically, it, it was seen as a much less reliable chain than like a Bitcoin or an Ethereum. It had a lot of outages, it had a lot of slowdowns and so on and so forth that got in the way of one of the key value adds of blockchains, which is reliability compared to traditional, you know, financial systems. But the other problem for Solana is that a lot of those SOL SOL tokens um, that are the native token of the Solana ecosystem were held by Sam Bankman-Fried, famously CEO, founder of FTX Alameda, who is now behind bars. It was not a good look. So the price of Solana went from over $200 in 2021 during the you know heyday of crypto, the most recent heyday. It, it went down, it crashed after SBF um, and everything fell apart to under $10 in 2022. But now it's back above $100 um, since, you know, October when it was still pretty low in that, you know, 10-ish dollar range. And there's a lot of things that we can attribute that to. Margaret, were you kind of surprised to, to see this? We can talk a little bit more about it. But like, what do you think about, you know, Solana as somebody who focuses more on the Ethereum ecosystem? How do people talk about it? Yeah, you know, I mean, again... I'm coming from it from an Ethereum perspective, but it was kind of forgotten about, right? Like we sort of thought it was dead after FTX. We thought that's it. It's done. 
but I'm starting to feel like it's it's back to being a competitor of Ethereum. Like I've definitely even I've started to pay attention to the price movements. I've been following Danny Nelson. He's our our Solana beat reporter a lot more closely to figure out what's what's happening over there in Solana world. I don't know. Maybe you can you can explain a little bit like why the price of Solana is moving back up. Is this having to do more with a wider market confidence or does this have to do with some other innovations happening in, in that ecosystem? Yeah, we should send this podcast to Danny so he can send it to some of we his sources and see what they, we should get him see on, what they have to come say on about <laughs> what, yeah, I know we should, yeah, we could have um, had him sub in for, for Brad maybe, but oh, yeah. I'm sure he's had some stuff, he'll have some stuff to say about, you know, whether Solana has been dead the past couple of years, it certainly has seemed dead from the outside, Yeah, um, you know, or particularly from a price, you know, if you look at markets, which we don't that often, but anyway, where's the market hype coming from this time? I think Solana fans will kind of caveat what I'm about to say by saying that Solana did seem to be experiencing something of a come up starting, like I said before, in October, which is before some other developments happened that I'm going to talk about in a second. And so it did seem to see some like organic growth, um, just from more developers entering the ecosystem more projects, you know, proliferating just in a, in, in a broad sense. But I do think that as we kind of move towards December, a lot of the hype that we're seeing around Solana is based in, you know, similar sorts of like hypey, meme airdrop um, focused sorts of phenomena that we've seen in past cycles on, you know, Ethereum and elsewhere where people get really excited about super buzzy projects, if not the, the core tech itself. One key thing has been Bonk, this big meme <laughs> coin on Solana, which is kind of like Solana's Dogecoin or Shiba, um, Shiba Inu. It went way up in price, even though it's a little bit down in right now relative to where it was at its peak. It's still up over 200% in the past 30 days. At a certain point, um, there's this phone, the Solana phone that was, you know, it had like dismal sales. It wasn't really going anywhere. It seemed pretty much dead on arrival, this Android device. People actually started finally buying Solana's Android device just so that they could get um, this bonk airdrop that people realized that Solana phone holders um, were were entitled to. So people bought this phone. Finally, it found its market just so that people could, you know, get um, get a hold of those bonk tokens that were worth more than the the phone itself. So the and then the price of the phone, you know, soared to, to thousands of dollars. But you know, there's been a couple other things. There's Pith, which is an Oracle network that's based mostly on Solana, but has since expanded. That launched a token, a government system, governance system, and has seen a bunch of trading um, of that governance token. And then the big one was Gido, which is a liquid staking service like a, a Lido type program on Solana, which also just airdropped its token. And I, I have sources that have made tens of thousands of dollars just on that airdrop with, you know, using because they used Gito years ago and kind of forgot about it. It's, it's insane. So you saw a lot of hype. I'm rambling here a bunch. There is a lot more to say about whether all of this is sustainable. But I'll, I'll just close by saying like, there are these individual projects, these airdrops, these big buzzy tokens that have led to, I think, some of the gains that we've seen or accelerated them on Solana. But I think fans of the ecosystem will point to, you know, the reliability of Solana and say like, hey, Sam Bankman-Fried, that, that story is kind of in the past. Solana itself, technically, if you look at it, it has not had an outage since last February, which th- that's pretty good, yeah. you know, broadly speaking, but specifically for Solana, which used to, it felt like monthly sometimes multiple times a month have outages. So Solana has fixed a lot of the problems that were plaguing it before. And so, you know, some of this, some of these gains might be sustainable and, and speak to the technology itself. Sorry yeah. for, for sucking all the air out and, and talking there um, for no, a while, Margo. No, you're good. 
I think we're going to be starting to be paying a lot more attention to Solana on this podcast. Personally, I've definitely noticed, you know, Ethereum figures start to talk about Solana again, which means that, you know, maybe Solana is giving Ethereum a run for its money. But anyway, I think that's about it for today. So thanks, Sam. Thanks all for listening. Thank you for coming to the Protocol Podcast. And thank you, Michelle Musso, our producer, who makes us sound divine. If you have any questions about any of the stories or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com and the subject line, use the protocol. You can listen to us weekly on the Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol on coindesk.com and we shall see you next week at this time. Take care. Happy New Year. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>